to the book of Romans, to chapter 5. The book of Romans, and in chapter 5, and I'd like to just read one verse of Scripture, verse 20. You may have noted in your bulletin, our subject is superabounding grace. Superabounding grace. Romans chapter 5 and in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You would hold your place there before we comment on that verse. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 15 and verse 11. Acts chapter 15, I read verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. You remember there was that discussion? Was circumcision a necessity for salvation? The question went before the apostles and elders at Jerusalem, and this was their conclusion. But we believe, pretty bold statement, pretty plain, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. From there I'm going to read in the book of 1 Peter and in chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter and in chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You would keep that phrase in mind. The manifold grace of God. Back to our text in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 20. The saints of God who are students of the Word of God, familiar with the Word of God, not only believe in grace, but we believe in a superabounding grace. And we'll explain that as we go. We believe, as we just read, in the manifold grace of God. That word manifold that we just read simply means many faceted or many colors, many different aspects to the grace of God. I won't turn there, but I want you to notice in Romans 5 and in verse 20, before I mention this other scripture, that the apostle here is speaking about the law. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The apostle asked the question in Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 19, Wherefore service the law? 
there are many biblical answers that could be given to that question, but we'll only deal this afternoon with the answer that's given in Romans 5 and in verse 20. Here we read, Moreover, the law entered. Why? That the offense might abound. That is a biblical answer to the biblical question, Wherefore service the law? The law entered that the offense might abound. We know that there was sin in the world sin in the hearts of individuals before the law was given. Before the law was given at Sinai, the Mosaic law it is referred to, there was sin. But wherefore service the law? Well, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law did not bring sin into the world. It did not cause anyone to sin. It did not put sin in the hearts of men, but it did expose sin. It did make manifest the sin which was already in the world. Again, there were, there were sinners before the law at Mount Sinai. In the same chapter of our text verse, you'll notice verse 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. By Adam's transgression, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. The verse further says, So death passed upon all men. For all have sinned. And literally, in the original, there's no such word as have there. It's just all sinned. All sinned in our federal head, Adam. Because of this one sin that is mentioned in verse 12, the sin of one man, you and I were born into this world with a death sentence hanging over our head. We were condemned already according to the word of God. Our text in, in verse 20 says the law entered that the offense might abound. You might notice the word abound is mentioned twice in verse 20 and I'm now dealing with this, this first one and it simply means to increase. There, there was an exposure. There was a manifestation of, of sin because the law of God was given. In chapter 3 and in verse 20 of Romans, Romans 3 and in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Therefore we know an incorrect answer to the question, wherefore serveth the law, is that 
Some view it as a means whereby individuals can be justified by the law. But that is excluded here in this, this, this verse in chapter 3 and in verse 20. By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. But notice the next phrase. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And I mentioned earlier that when God gave the law at Sinai, there was an exposure of sin. The law revealed the sin and the sinfulness of mankind. The law that was given at Sinai is God's perfect moral law. It cannot be improved upon. It is perfect. It is holy. And it was sent into this world, again, for many different reasons, but the stated reason in our text is it exposed sin. It exposed sin. In the presence of the law, sin is revealed. The law of God also reveals the magnitude of sin. That's where many do not understand the law. The law reveals the enormity of sin. Sin is greater than many realize. The law exposes man's sin. In Romans also and in chapter 7, you'll notice the words of the Apostle Paul in, in verse 7. Romans 7 and in verse 7, Paul said, I have not known sin but by the law. Paul, before that Damascus Road experience as the Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, very religious, thought, thought he had a right standing with God, thought he was doing God a service all the while sinning against God, he said, I have not known sin but by the law. Look at verse 13. Now I'm going to the latter part of that verse. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Of course, the word commandment there has a reference to the law. That sin by the commandment. Again, Paul's question in Galatians, wherefore service the law? What's the purpose of the law? that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Here's the question. How did sin by the commandment become exceeding sinful? We read the statement there in verse 13, but when I read statements such as that, my mind naturally asks questions. How? How? How does the commandment make sin exceeding sinful? And the answer, I believe, is 
it left men without excuse. God's holy standard had now been revealed. God himself had written it with his finger upon tables of stone. And man was now without any excuse. All sin was revealed to be a rebellion against divine revelation. Therefore, sin is a rebellion against God. That's why sin is exceeding sinful. Whatever sin I commit, whatever sin you commit, is in and of itself a rebellion against divine revelation and a rebellion against the holy God. It is exceeding sinful. No matter how small we may think it is, we may think a lie is just a small white lie. There's no such thing. It is rebellion against God. The thing that the law exposes again is sin in the world and sin in us. God commands. We have the commandments of God. Man by nature refuses. Man just refuses. In those ten commandments, God gives the commands, but man by nature just rebels at what God has commanded. Also contained in the law of Sinai, there are things which God forbids. And there's something about the fallen nature of Adam whereby we have an inherent desire for everything God forbids. And it just exposes our sin nature and the sin that is in the world. Romans 5 in verse 20, once again, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law removed any and every excuse individuals might have. The law revealed that sin was universal in the world, and the law revealed the absolute total depravity of man. The law revealed that unto us. And I'll also mention this. The law revealed to that quickened sinner his own personal sin. One of the great works of the Holy Spirit of God in giving life, in quickening God's elect, the law, the law exposes our individual personal sin. And it reveals unto us a need for salvation and redemption. No one ever realizes their need for mercy and grace until they first realize their, their own personal sin. No one ever realizes and knows that they stand in need of a Savior 
until they are first condemned by the law. They're condemned by the law. Romans 5 and then verse 20. When you begin reading this verse, each one of us ought to be very thankful that the verse and the word of God does not end with the first phrase of Romans 5.20. I'm thankful there's more to verse 20 than that first sentence. The first sentence, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But if you want to see the, the grandeur of grace, the next phrase. Then you have that little word, but, once again. And how thankful I am that there is this but in verse 20 and what is stated beyond that. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now here is the second use of that word abound. And it's interesting to me that this word is translated from a totally different word than the first abound in verse 20. It's a totally different word. Grace did much more abound. I'll mention again the literal sense of this. In the original language is grace did super abound. Grace is super abounding grace. The grace that is mentioned in verse 20, it abounds and it is superior over abounding sin. Where sin did abound, where sin is in the world, where sin is in individuals, grace did superabound. Superabounding grace. This is victorious grace in verse 20. It is transforming grace. It is overcoming grace. It is saving grace. Superabounding grace. Notice, if you would, verse 19 of the same chapter. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now one of those is far better than the other. And all you have to have is just simple walking around sense to figure out which one is better than the other. Being made righteous is far better than being made a sinner. But notice, we were made both. By nature, we were made sinners in Adam, but made righteous in Christ. Keeping verse 19 in mind, look at verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, God's superabounding grace reigns 
over both sin and death. Again, it's overcoming. It's overcoming sin. Sin thoroughly ruined and corrupted the human race. I may have mentioned this to you before, but I heard a, a preacher one time at a Bible conference. He put it this way. Adam did not have a fender bender when he sinned. He totaled it. And so he did. He totally wrecked the human race by one sin. By one sin. Sin ruined the human race. Sin brought the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, which is death. But, again we have that but in verse 20 of our text. In and by the grace of God, we have super abounding grace, and in it and through it, we have much more than we lost in Adam. I'm thankful that in the salvation of sinners, that it is far more than just restoring us to the innocence before the fall. Salvation is far more than that. By this superabounding grace, we are made joint heirs with Christ in the, in the kingdom of God. By this superabounding grace, we are made partakers of the divine nature of God. By this superabounding grace, we are made kings and priests under God. By this superabounding grace, we shall reign with him here upon this earth. We have far more by this grace than we lost in Adam. There is, I suppose, in, in science, what is called alchemy. That's the attempt, and it's been going on for centuries, to transform a lesser metal into gold. There are people that actually are trying that, and they have for years, to trans transform something of a lesser value into something that is precious. Well, as far as I know, superabounding grace accomplishes that where scientists cannot. Superabounding grace makes us new creations in Christ, and it transforms us from rebels against God to willing servants of God. It transforms us from a sinner into a saint. You cannot find a greater transformation anywhere in the world greater than that transformation. Super abounding grace. Look in the book of Malachi, if you would, and in chapter 3. Malachi, and in chapter 3. Just try to imagine, I know it's beyond our comprehension, to consider the transformation from a sinner into a saint. 
We have examples of it in the Word of God. I suppose that, that Paul is one of the greatest examples. What a great transformation there. I read in Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. That's a part of grace. That's a part of grace. I enjoy talking with people that fear the Lord. There's many others I don't have much to say with. But I enjoy speaking with those that fear the Lord. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard him. Isn't that something? The Lord hearkened and heard him. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Now, keep in mind superabounding grace and read the next verse. I cannot explain it all. I have no idea what all is involved here. But the Lord said, and they shall be mine in that day when I make up my jewels. I don't know what's involved in that. I'm thankful to be a part of it. I look forward to one day finding out they shall be mine. Who? They that fear the Lord. They that feared the Lord. They shall be mine, saith the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels, meaning these that fear me will be a peculiar treasure unto me. Can you imagine that? The transformation that has taken place, how lives are changed by this superabounding grace, transformed for what we had and were in Adam, till the Lord himself saying concerning us, they shall be mine in that day when I make up my jewels. I don't know what's involved in God making up his jewels. Saints of God being his peculiar treasure, that's what the word really means. I'm thankful for grace. Romans 5 and in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. It exposed it and made it manifest everywhere. But where sin abounded, notice the words much more. Grace did much more abound. Again, Super abounding. You might remember in your English classes there were some words that were superlatives. Well, the first abound in verse 20 is a superlative. Well, what about the next one? I don't know if there's such a thing in grammar or not, but to me, 
This is a super superlative. Grace did outdo the superlative. Where sin abounded, grace did outdo it. Grace did overcome it. Grace did much more abound. When we read of this grace in Romans 5 and in verse 20, it's the very same grace that the apostle did write of in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 8. No difference in the grace. By grace are you saved. What kind of grace? Well, it's superabounding grace. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Look further, if you would, in Ephesians and in chapter 2. Ephesians and in chapter 2, we're familiar with verse 8, and verse 9, and verse 10, I hope. But look at verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show, might show what? The exceeding riches of his grace. That's superabounding grace. That's that many faceted grace that the apostle Peter did write about. If you look back to chapter 1 of Ephesians and you notice verse 7 speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his grace. Chapter 2 and in verse 7, the exceeding riches of his grace. Again in Romans 5 and in verse 20, there are two abounds. There sin did abound. The law was given, sin was just made manifest everywhere and in everyone. But the second abounding far surpasses the first abounding. It did much more abound. I'm going to close by reading in the book of 1 Timothy and in chapter 1. 1 Timothy and in chapter 1. Here I'll read verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Exceeding abundant. With faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, first of all, exceeding abundant grace. Then notice, what accompanies this exceeding abundant grace? The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus.